And it's a big welcome to Sports Talk to Grant Nisbet as we take a look at the very interesting concept around a combined Anzac side to take on the British and Irish lines. And we a few thoughts from Nisbet as well around the selection. I think it's released at 12.30, i.e. half past midnight tomorrow. Strange but true. There it goes. Nisbet, great to have you in the programme again. I trust you well. G'day, Darcy. All good, mate. I rang you up earlier on in the piece to say, hey, Nisbo, do you remember that first up game where there was an Anzac combo team that took on a British and Irish Lions team back in 1989? And I thought if anyone would remember something like that, it'd be you. But you only have faint recollection of what happened. Is that a suggestion that maybe this is a crazy idea to try and uh, resuscitate it again? Well, um, since I spoke to you, Darcy, off air, I went to the trusty old New Zealand rugby almanac for 1990, and I um, I sort of uh, am now much more knowledgeable on the game, which was played on the 23rd of July, 1989, at Ballymore in Brisbane, and it was won by the British Lions 1915. But the interesting thing comes in the sort of the footnote. It says, this is the final match of the Lions Tour of Australia. No fewer than 12 New Zealanders declined invitations to play. The original selection had seven New Zealanders, eight Australians, and in the end, only three New Zealand players took the field. They were Kieran Crowley, Frano Bodega, and Steve McDowell. So, and the Lions won it by 19 to 15. So, there's a little bit of a history lesson there for you, Darcy. Why, thank you very much. There's some great names from way back then. I was actually living in, in London when that happened, so I wasn't aware. I'm sure it wasn't televised over there. It might have even been televised over here. It seems to be this this ghost of uh, of football past. Yeah, look, I doubt whether it was um, telecast here because I don't think Sky started till 1990, and that's a year earlier. We may well have seen the British Isles test matches against Australia on TV one. I don't know. I can't remember. But the interesting thing was that at the time, Argentina were touring New Zealand, and they played two test matches, and this particular game fell between the two test matches. And at the time, neither Crowley nor Bodega were first starters in the All Black team. Crowley, of course, John Gallagher was the All Black fullback, uh, and Grant Fox was uh, was their first five for the All Blacks. And Bodega actually played in the centres in that game. So the only, uh, shall we say, fully fledged All Black at that stage was Steve McDowell, who decided to go across between the two Test matches and play in that game. So what does this say to you, if anything, about the possibility of this game that's being mooted uh, by the ARU at the tail end, I'm presuming, of the Lions Tour in 2025? Does it have any traction specifically in your mind, something you'd be keen on watching or seeing, something you think that would engage the public? I don't know. I've got mixed feelings on this. I've always felt there was a place for an Anzac team somewhere because I guess I'm drawing on the fact that the Lions have been such a successful uh, component over the years, but of course they draw from four countries and they make long tours. Uh, you know, I don't know about a one-off game. I, I've often felt that you know an Anzac team travelling at the end of the year playing maybe all the home nations and a few other games would be worth a crack just for something entirely different. Um, so as I say, I've got mixed feelings on this. You've got to remember that 1989 was well before professionalism came in. And nowadays we uh, we sort of monitor the workload of players. I can't imagine between test matches at home somebody would suddenly become available to rush across the Tasman and effectively play what at the moment anyway is an exhibition game.
Well, this is makes it problematic, doesn't it, with professionalism and the fact that the players are often howling, or their reps anyway, that there's too much rugby, we need more breaks. And we're seeing super rugby being interrupted by players that need sabbaticals, they need weeks off and so on and so forth. So to throw an erroneous match in that basically means nothing, I don't see huge engagement from the players unless they're going to make a pretty penny out of it. And even then, I think the only people making money will be the gate receipts for the ARU. Yeah, there might be a few bob in it for the NZRU as well. Uh, of course, the players would probably say, well, we need to be paid as well. It's a very different age we live in, obviously. And this game was actually played in July. It wasn't a, a kind of an end-of-season game. It was it was right smack back in, in the middle of the rugby season because the rugby season in those days didn't start in February or late January the way it does these days. Uh, most um, first-class rugby, from my memory, didn't really crack in until about April, May. Um, and so this was a July game. Now, where the heck you'd fit an, an all-black uh, wanting to go across and play, as I say, effectively an exhibition game into the mix? I, it, it, it's probably pie in the sky uh, under current circumstances. Do you think it's a way of maybe the ARU and NZR, you know, getting together in a room and being nice to each other for a change? Is that maybe what this, what's behind this? Well, I think so. I, I think there's been a thawing of relations just listening to um, the Aussie chairman the other day or uh, reading what he said, uh, it sounds like they've patched up a few of their differences, mainly around Super Rugby, which was becoming rather contentious, and uh, and it looked for a while there as though they're going to fall out. Now, let's be honest about it, they need, they need each other. We certainly need each other uh, now that South Africa is no longer playing in Super Rugby, so we really can't afford to fall out with the Aussies. So you're right, maybe this is a sort of a feel-good story. What about the team tonight in this boat out at 12.30? What are your expectations around selection and, and around performance? Well, they've got to improve for a start off, don't they? I mean, this time last year they played Wales, but Wales weren't very good, and I think we put 50 on them. Um, I'll be interested to see what they do in, in a number of positions, and I think without Will Jordan being there, uh, there's no real pressure um, to put him at fullback. You'll probably find that Geordie Barrett goes back to fullback after having a very successful run in the midfield in the last Test match here at home against the Wallabies, I, you know I think that's something they may look to pursue, but they they can't really do it. I don't suppose um, with without Will Jordan being there. Um, so it looks like Barrett will play uh, at uh, at fullback, and um, we'll probably see. Uh, Yuani and Havili restored at 12 and 13. Interesting to know whether Richie Moonga holds his place or whether they go straight into Bowden Barrett. I kind of suspect they might go with Moonga and bring Barrett off the bench if they don't start him at fullback, that is, and put Geordie at second five. There's a lot of uh, variables here. Um, Artie Savia, of course, comes back and he's an inspirational figure. Uh, they certainly missed his, uh, his drive, his leadership against uh, Japan. Uh, Scott Barrett, of course, comes back into the mix. Well, he'll be needed now because Brodie Retallick's out for the next two games. So it'll be uh, it'll be uh, Whitelock and uh, Scott Barrett in the midfield in, uh, in in locking, no doubt. Open side flanker, I think Dalton Papali'i probably gets the job now that Sam Kane is not there. And um, I think the front row. Well, I think we settled, didn't we, on uh, on Lomax uh, Tokiaho and uh, Ethan de Groot, and uh, I would like to see those three uh, in the mix as well. So it's obviously going to be a very different team to the one that played against Japan. And Nisbo, do you think that lead-in's going to be enough for them? A lot of these guys haven't played in quite some time now, and the ones that have played, played in that disjointed mess. It's not the ideal preparation, is it? 
No, it's not. It, it seems a long time since some of these guys played and they'll be itching to go. I'd imagine they'll look pretty damn awful for a wee while. I just hope that uh, their instincts will kick in. And, um, you know, I mean, Wales are probably sitting back thinking this is our best chance for a long, long time. We all know the last time they beat us was 1953. They've had a few near misses, uh, 78, of course, when um, the infamous diving out of the line-out happened. I think 204, where we beat them by one point, a late try by Joe Rockafoco. So, you know, they've gone close a few times, but they might be looking at us thinking, uh, this is our best chance since 1953. You've got to be in your late 60s, Darcy, to remember when that last happened. Um, and I guess there'll be a lot of people saying, I don't really want to see history rewritten again. We've had enough of that this year. Yeah, 2022 is definitely the rewriting of the history books. I'd like to see that stop as well. Never a chore talking to you, Nisbo. Grant Nisbet, thank you very much for your time. You go well. Good on you, Darcy. Cheers, mate. 90% of parenting is just thinking about when you can have a break. And when you do take a break, enjoy the Parenting Hangover podcast. They go together like a tutu and jandals. We've said from the get-go, we ain't parenting experts. No. But it's cool to hear, what is your neighbour doing? What do they say? A problem shared is a problem halved. Oh, that's good. Not that my children are problems, but I feel better talking about it. The Parenting Hangover with Clinton Jordan. New episodes every Thursday on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts.